0: What we are talking about joy as we move into this Christmas season, I'm going to be preaching on joy this week, next week, and I I, I want to ask you, how do you walk in joy? I'm not looking for raised hands, but I, I want you to think about that. When you want joy, how do you get joy? Where do you look for it? Now, I know that for many of us, we're thinking, okay, well, Pastor Mike, he wants me to write down my religious answer. Well, actually, I don't. I want you to write down the honest answer. The honest answer. When I was a boy, I would love to sneak downstairs before anybody else. And rarely would any of my brothers or my sister beat me. And I would go downstairs, and like many little boys, I would look under the Christmas tree. And there are six kids in the family, mom and dad. And so there were a lot of gifts around the Christmas tree. And it's not because we were wealthy or anything. It's just that there were a lot of people. And so we, I would sort through the gifts, and then I would look for the ones with my name on it. And what do you do? You pick it up. How heavy is this? Shake it a little bit. Okay. No, that's not a rifle. It's too small, and you would and here. Can I just be honest with you? My greatest disappointment when I would pick it up and it was really squishy. Oh, clothing. As a boy, I, I didn't want clothing. I realized that was a necessity. Come on, but the truth is, I wanted toys, right? And I can I can remember this. This is who your pastor was as a little boy. We'd be gathered around, and my dad would pass out, you know, the Christmas gifts one at a time, and we'd just go around the room until we just got so dizzy we fainted. You know, really. I, but it, there were as we were passing, my dad would pass out the gifts, and we would open them. There were Christmases in which I would just look around, and all it was was sweaters and blankets and socks and underwear. And it's like, where are the toys? And is it not true that there are some times when you feel just a little bit joyless <laughs> in which you actually rank your Christmas? Has everyone ever asked you, so how was your Christmas? I tell you what, as a boy, I would have waited on, did I get a bunch of sweaters or did I get that really cool toy, that 007 briefcase that you press the button and it turns into a rifle, right? Oh, okay, cool. But the truth is... All right, the truth is I weighed my Christmas on what I got because what I got was what filled me with joy. And right now you're probably thinking, wow, Pastor Mike, really? But if I had a show of hands, how many of you have done that? You would probably all be raising your hands. But I wouldn't ask the next question, and that is how many of you still do that because most of you would still raise your hands, right? Thank you, Tim. But we go through life, church, that same way. Our joy is based on what we get. Our joy is based on how people treat us. There is something inside of us that screams out, I want to be loved. I want to be accepted. I want to be valuable. Because if I'm valuable, just something about me that's valuable, people will like me, right? And when you watch things like High School Musical, the musical, the series, or whatever it's called, it actually has like 10 or 12 different letters. Anyway, what a true scene of, of American high school Period in which we are constantly wanting to be accepted, be a part of a family, for people to love us, to note something about how talented we are, how good we are, something about me. Because if there is something about me that's valuable, that makes me valuable and worthwhile. So let's just be honest. If you didn't, as a little boy or little girl, sneak downstairs to weigh the gifts and find out, which ones were yours, and what was inside, and hoping you got that special toy. For my wife, I'm sure that it was just strictly Barbie. She just wanted Barbies, right? But we we weigh our life on these things, and how valuable am I? And I'm going to suggest this to you, that your joy is going to come from that kind of a thing. And so as a result, most people... They weigh their life, and they come up with the short end of the stick. And they go through, even Christians, and they go through life with so little joy. I want us to look at the story of Mary. We have probably read this. You have probably read it or heard it read to you dozens of times. And I'm just going to kind of cherry-pick a few verses and fill in in between because I want us to see some things about joy. Did you realize... uh, (laughs) I I was, one of my professors I connected with just a few months ago, and he has written a book about, and and I'm not going to give you the title because it was a very theological title, and, but it's about how Luke focuses on this idea of joy, and I'm I'm not going to try and get really theological on you. I want us to be really practical, though, because the truth is so many in the body of Christ rarely experience this deep, amazing joy, this, as I've described before, irrepressible joy. See, that's ours. That's part of our inheritance as the children of God. And yet how many, as we go through life, would say, irrepressible joy? Really? That means you can't even hold it back. It's just like exploding with joy. I don't have that. I believe God wants you to experience that. So we're going to look at Mary's life here, and we're going to see this joy. And why did she have such joy? Okay? So Luke chapter 1, and I'm going to start with verse 26. I'm not going to tell you all the verses I'm reading because I'm going to start and stop and fill in and start and stop again. And so you just follow me the best you can. Verse 26, in The sixth month, that is the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy with John, that is the one who would be known as John the Baptist, okay? In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. I want you to underline that phrase, highly favored. We're going to come back to that. Highly favored. The Lord, yes, the Lord is with you. Now, he goes on, and as most people, the angels to most people, the angel says, don't be afraid. I mean, if an angel appeared to you, uh, you would probably be falling on your face. You would probably be shaking at your knees. And... Mary is being told, don't be afraid. And the angel begins to elaborate on this amazing plan that God has that she has been privileged to be a part of. And that is, as you know, the birth of the Messiah. Now, this is is a person, a, a being that was that's been prophesied about for hundreds of years. Just a couple of weeks, two weeks ago, I was talking with a friend of mine that I'm, I'm working with, and his parents are Messianic Jews, but he is not. And I, I just encouraged him. I said, look, I would challenge you to read Isaiah 53. And Marla actually read some of that to us today, but 12 verses About Jesus, written 700 years before Jesus was born. So this Messiah had been prophesied about for hundreds of years. And now Mary, of all people, has been chosen by God to give birth to this baby. Now, she asks this question. It's like, wow, I feel so honored. But then she says, verse 34, how will this be since I am a virgin? I'm okay. Come on, God. I mean, I understand the mechanics, the, 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 the biology in this, at least to a degree, and I'm a virgin, and you're saying, I'm going to have a baby, and uh, it's not going to work. How are you going to do this? That's a little better than what uh, her relative uh, Zechariah did, because as soon as he found out that he and his old age and his wife's old age and being barren, they would be having a boy as well, John. He was supposed to call him John, which means Yahweh is gracious. His response was, <laughs> you got to be kidding me. Really? How you, like, w- what sign? I, prove it to me that this is going to happen. And Gabriel's response was, <clears throat> I stand in the presence of God. <laughs> All right? I've got the down low. I know exactly what God is going to be doing, and you better believe it. And so we understand that, unfortunately, Zechariah, to demonstrate what God was going to do, the certainty of it, he went went mute. He couldn't speak. Mary's response was different. She's just simply saying, I'm willing to accept this, but how are you going to do this? And so the angel, Gabriel, begins to explain what the Holy Spirit is going to be doing and coming upon you and overshadowing you and a miracle is going to be happening. And her response to his phrase, nothing is impossible with God, she says, verse 38, I am the Lord's servant. Mary answered, may it be to me as you have said. And she accepted this, and then the angel left her. She now, at that moment, or maybe within a week or two, we don't know exactly how long. Remember, it's in her sixth week, sixth month, that now she goes to some hill country that is in Judah, and she meets up with Elizabeth. You remember John leaps in his mother's womb, even at the voice of Mary saying, Mary's entrance. And it says right there in verse 45, this is Elizabeth speaking to Mary. Blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. Now, I'm going to read to you Mary's song. Now, I'm not quite so sure if she just broke into song right there or what happened if she composed it later. I don't know. But you get the impression that her response is she just breaks into song. Okay? But however this happens, this is what she says. And Mary said... My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices. And I want you to underline, circle, highlight that word, rejoices in God my Savior. For he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever. Even as he said to our fathers. And then Luke concludes with this verse, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. You know, in psychology today, their focus, and, and you can see this in Hollywood, you can read it in the books, when you go through, if you ever get a general psych class, you get this, but it is all about how special you are, right? You're, you're special, you're unique, you're unique you and and you look to yourself to find your value be a better you right and how do you do that well ssc says you got to get an education however you get that you got to find a better you because if you want joy if you want happiness you're going to find it here right that's why disney tells us Let your heart follow you or follow your heart because there's something so valuable in you that you are special, you are unique, and I am going to be happy because I am so special. I'm going to suggest to you that instead of finding our value in just how special we are, the Bible says that our sense of value is not derived from ourselves. That's why the world, as it's looking for happiness, they're not finding it. Because when they look inside, they see a whole lot more than something that's special because they find something that's broken. And they look desperately for something that's good, and they're not finding it. Maybe a little bit here and there, but the truth is we're broken. And when we look inside, when we become that introspective, we find all the junk. We find the anger we find the bitterness, the hurt. And we begin to wonder, really, what is this life? How how am I supposed to find happiness? And so like a mantra, we just have to say over and over, I guess, I'm special, I'm special, I'm special. I'm gonna suggest to you that if you are wanting to find joy, and I would seriously doubt that anyone in this room would turn down that offer. They, we all want joy. You will not find it as you turn inward. Where Where do you find it? And Mary has found it in one place, and that is the grace of God the grace of God, it's found outside of herself. It is not by looking inside and trying to find some sense of value. Now, church, I I get it that God so loved the world, but you know the world was broken, it was messed up, it was dark, it was sinful, it was rebellious. I'm describing you people, all right? I'm describing me, that's who we were. And yet God loved us. Was it that God just looked down and said, oh my goodness, those people are so good, so cute and adorable, I just want to give them a hug, right? I want to die for them. No, it says that they were his enemies with the image of God that was broken, shattered into pieces, and God said, I want to rescue them. I'm going to I'm going to encourage you, as you go through Christmas, December here, and you're looking for that joy because it's all across Hallmark movies, right? It's all across the TV ads, and it's all about finding joy out there or in here. And the world is only going to get more depressed because they're not going to find it. They're all looking in the wrong place. It is not under their Christmas tree. And so when Mary then, as she is being called highly favored, where is she finding this joy? Is it because there's something special about Mary? Is it because she's really gifted? Is it because that she has this amazing singing voice? And God just said, wow, I just love that sound. I'm going to bless you with the birth of my son, Jesus. Was it something about her amazing character that she just loved and gave to the poor? Wonderful things. Doesn't say that at all. Was it because she was so honoring to her parents? We don't know. Was it it something about her? Let me just show you. There were were three very simple things. And, And you can say that these things qualified her. I'm going to just simply disagree with that, okay? Those three things are, are this. She was humble. She had faith, and she called herself a servant. There was nothing special about her in that way. You see, when you are humble, all we are doing is we are simply saying, I am in need, and the only need filler is God Himself? That's it. That is the humility that she's talking about. Look there. It. Where is it? Verse forty-eight. Um, it says, "For He has been mindful of the humble state of her servant." What was the humble state? She was poor. Oh, that really qualified her, right? I'm going to suggest to you, as as I quickly go through this, it was nothing about her specifically that qualified her to become the mother of the son of God. What an amazing privilege. She's called highly favored. But why? She was humble. That simply means that she looked at herself and she had, listen to this, she had nothing to offer God here, take this marvelous gift that I have. Take this talent. Take the, all of this wealth that I have. Take this position that I have, and I will honor you with this position. She had none of that. There's nothing about giving to the poor. Not that she didn't do that. Nothing about honoring her parents. I'm sure she did. We don't know. She was honored because she says, I was, I was humble. That is it. And she, in this song that she has, she talks about those who are proud and how God humbles, or maybe better, humiliates them. Well, what is it about her? She stood as a woman, a woman of God, like this. God, I, I've got to look to you every day. That is the posture of Humility. She was a woman of faith. Maybe it's because she hadn't experienced enough hardship in life. Zechariah, older, I don't know. Zechariah was a doubter. He was. Mary, she just simply said, okay, God, I believe you. I trust you. The angel Gabriel said, nothing is impossible with God. Now, I want to ask you, do you believe that? This is a truth. Nothing is impossible with God. I mean, is there something that we can pat ourselves on the back for because we have faith? Faith is simply receiving. It's like the flip side of humility. It says, not only I'm going to receive, but I'm going to believe that you're going to give it. I'm going to believe that you're going to do what you promised, God. My faith is not in myself, that somehow I'm going to be a better me. My faith is in God. I am completely dependent. See, that's Mary's heart here. And she says that she's a servant. Okay, God, whatever you want, that's what I'm going to do. Do you see that in verse 38? May it be as you have said. I don't know if maybe the angel said to go, wait, wait, wait. Hang on a second, Mary. Before you say that, let me tell you what's going to happen people are going to look at you and you're pregnant and you're unmarried. Let me tell you about the hardship that you're going to go through raising a child as the talk goes around Nazareth. That's an illegitimate child. Mary, she was not a good girl. And all of the doubts and all of the finger pointing that can go on and the feelings of rejection. Now, go ahead and say that. Be it unto me as you will. Really? Are you sure about this? You see, she says, I am your servant. I'm not going to argue with the angel. Be it unto me according to your will. That is the posture that Mary had. That was the heart of Mary. That is not something that she would be able to pat herself on the back and be able to show everybody, look at me. See, this is why God chose me, because I was such a good person that I was this or that, or look at all the talents, and look at all that I had to offer God. It was absolutely nothing about that. It all had to do with what God had to offer her. It's in God's grace. Now, follow me here. There we find this word joy, we find the word rejoice, and we find the word grace. And believe it or not, give me just a moment here. I'm going to show you how they're interconnected. Okay, number one, the word rejoice is the Greek word Cairo, kind of like the city in Egypt, Cairo. That means to rejoice, means to be. To, to, to be glad, it comes from the word kaira, which is joy. I think we can see that pretty simply. Kaira is joy, and kairo means to rejoice. But the word grace, kairis, finds its root in this word joy. And so really, the word kairos means that which gives joy. So even in this word that Mary is saying here, rejoicing, and God's grace is being poured out upon her, God's grace is that which brings her joy. And I'm going to suggest to you that if you're looking for joy and hoping that it's just around the corner, stop looking under the Christmas tree because you need to look around as you see God pouring out his grace in your life. God's grace in your life that is what brings joy let me let me go a little bit further here if you'll let me turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 hopefully we're going to see just how silly it is for us to find our joy by being introspective in 1 Corinthians Chapter 1, I'm going to read to you first, uh, chapter 1, verses 26 through 29. This is what Paul says, and, he, and his focus here is on God's grace. He says this, brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Now, I want you to do that. I want you to think of who you were when you were called. What were you like Were you a really likable person? Were you wealthy? Were you really smart, really gifted? And God said, oh, I got to use this person. I got to call this person. They're going to change the world. Look at what they have to offer me. Oh, man, I've got to buy into this. I got to call them to be on my side. Really? This is what Paul says. He says, not many of you were wise. Let me just be blunt here. Most of you were just plain stupid. That's what he's saying. Yep, yeah, you, you didn't have a whole lot up here, right? By human standards, you were not wise. Not many were influential, okay? Not many of you were of noble birth. You weren't wealthy, you weren't important in the world's eyes. You didn't have status, but God chose. The foolish things of this world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He he chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things. The things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. Wow. Can I just say that God chose a means of rescuing you that the world looks on and says, what, God had his son crucified? I, I heard some liberal theologian call that cosmic child abuse. He doesn't believe it. Jesus suffered for my sins. Why would any good father ever do that? You got me. But there is one who did because he loved the despised of this world, that he sent his son. And his son didn't fight and kick and scream the whole way. They had a plan before the creation of this world. This is what we will do. And it sums it up in one word, redemption. You see, God chose you. He didn't look at Mike Curtis and say, oh my goodness, if I just had Mike Curtis on my team? You know, when I was a kid, that's how we, we, you you play sports, you line up against the the, the line or the wall of the gym or whatever, you have two people up front and what do you do? You choose back and forth, back and forth. And if you're not really good at dodgeball, you get picked last. And you are chosen based on how good you were. Let me just say this, if God did that, And he looked at Mike Curtis and all the other people. And who's going to be on my team? I would be one of the last chosen. I really would. But God chose me. God, why would you do that? Did God look inside of me and say, wow, Mike Curtis is really special? He didn't. And he couldn't have. He chose me because that's what his desire was. Why did I receive God's grace? Because God chose me. Let me just tell you this in Ephesians 2.10. See, God chose you. In Ephesians 2.10, he says that we are God's workmanship. That means he is in this process of taking what is broken and despised and despicable, what has been in rebellion against him, what is broken. he He chose that, and he's beginning to craft us. You're his workmanship. He was walking along, and he picked up this big lump of clay, got his hands dirty, began to make a ball, and he threw it down on his potter's wheel. That was you. That was me. Did he look at it and say, wow, there's just something really special about that lump of clay? He absolutely did not. What made that lump of clay valuable? The hand of God as He begins to mold and shape and create something made of that was comprised of dirt into something absolutely beautiful. Absolutely beautiful, gorgeous. The world comes along, and you, you may have seen this if, if you've ever seen a video of someone in real life creating something, and they just poke at it and that one little poke it causes the the lump the the nearly finished pot to just crumble in on itself and you think the world has done something to me that's just destroyed me i'm valueless now but see mary says but see i'm humble and i trust you god I am your servant. Your will be done. God, the world has been despising me and hurting me. And right now, I, I'm your chosen. And I don't understand, but I need you to apply your hands again. And when the world has done that in your life, we say, okay, God, put your hands once again, to my life. And God begins to shape and to mold and to once again fashion. Have you ever seen that? And even though the world has done this over and over and over again, and you feel like you're caving in on yourself over and over again, humble faith, I am your servant. Your will be done in my life. That has nothing to do with how special I am, but has everything to do with the God that I am looking to, the hands of that potter that I am asking to be applied to my life one more time to mend what the world has done, what circumstances have done. And as the hand of the potter is applied to that piece of clay, he crafts something so beautiful. We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, out of the world, into Christ Jesus, receiving this inheritance, receiving all of the promises of God. I'm receiving humble faith. I am your servant, God. That's all I have to offer you to God. And God has chosen us, and he's fashioning us, and he is... We are all on that potter's wheel as he is shaping you into something absolutely amazing. Why are you valuable? Because the master has applied his hands to your life. That's it. That's his grace. That's his grace. Because his grace has been molding and shaping and doing something in my life He has now called me, chosen me, fashioning me as a workmanship. We are his workmanship, created, fashioned, formed in Christ Jesus to do good works, get a word of this, prepared in advance for us to do. Before he called you, He had a plan for your life. I can't tell you how detailed that plan was. I know Calvinists and Arminians argue back and forth, and Calvinists would say every detail and Arminians would say, oh, maybe not quite that much detail. However God chose to do it, he had all of these good works, and he had them planned, and he's offering them, stay on my potter's wheel, let my hand shape your life, let my grace be poured out upon you. Can you just do this? That, that's all I need you to do. Look to me. Look to me. Rely on me. Because whatever you are wanting to do, you're not going to find it under a Christmas tree. But under my hands as I'm fashioning you. Can you see this? We have been privileged by his grace. We have been called. Out of this darkness and this rebellion and, and all of this brokenness in our life, I, have, I didn't come to God offering Him the, all of this wonderful value in my life. I had no bargaining chip. He just simply chose me because I said, God, I can't, but I'm believing that you can. And Jesus said, That's it, that's all I need. And he pulled me, he set me on his potter's wheel. And I can't tell you how many times I've been poked in my life. And you see that pot just could begin to crumble in on itself. And I said, God, I'm going to confess to you again. I'm broken. And God reapplied his hands. You see, just like Mary, I was found in a humble state. Humbled. State. I was humbled before him, broken before him. But she says, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices. Why? Because our joy is not found from something in here. It is found in God's grace, his carice that makes me rejoice, Cairo. And as a result, I am filled with his joy, Kyra, Kara. If you're looking for joy in this season, you're not going to find it in the world. You're not going to find it in here. But I'm not going to say that you're not special. But you're not special because of some value in you. You are special for this reason he chose you. That's it. Everything's off the table. One reason. He didn't look around and find those who are of significant valuable enough, worthy enough and he said, "Oh, I'm going to choose you to be on my team. I'm going to choose you to be a recipient of my grace." He looked for those who were simply saying, "Okay, God. This really is who I am. I am I am so ordinary. I am broken." I am messed up and I need you. That's my humble state. That's where Mary found herself. She didn't go to God and say, "God, look what I can do for you. Look at all this that I have. I can look at how I can advance your kingdom." He you probably would have laughed, but she she didn't. God chose her. Her value was found in God's grace alone. There's a story that's told that I hope I don't botch, but I'm going to keep it really brief and it's a story about the three trees. And the three trees were talking about how wonderful the the, the wonderful things that they would accomplish in their life. And that there was something about their wood that maybe their their w- the wood from their tree would be built to or be used to build this amazing house or this You know, incredible thing over here, and they can just, they're beginning to share their dreams of how they're gonna be used because of how special they are. And then you fast forward, and the first tree is chopped down, and he is fashioned to become a feeding trough. The next tree is cut down. And he's not fashioned to become this warrior ship or this cargo ship or this big, vast ship or at least be a part of that, but a little boat. That's it. Just a meager little fisherman's boat. The third tree, years and years later, eventually was cut down. And he was made into two pillars, beams of wood, that were eventually fastened together to become a cross. I think you're beginning to see what I'm getting at here. Each of those three trees, as large as their dreams were because they were focused inward, they were willing to become something that gave birth to a savior. Something that Jesus rode across a stormy sea to demonstrate his power, to cast out demons, to bring healing to the broken. And then, of course, lastly, a tree on which he would be crucified for the sins of the world. It's all God's grace. And so I want to ask you, at this point in your life, where are you looking for joy? Are you trying to look for it here? Because you will not find it, regardless of what Hollywood or psychology today says the only reason why you're special is because God chose you. And when we do this, he pours out his grace upon us. And then, in view of this amazing, magnificent grace poured out upon me, God, thank you. Thank you, God. I cannot tell you how many times I have found myself in tears on my living room floor, in my bedroom, wherever I am, just saying, God, I feel like I've been poked again. Maybe it's in the financial. Maybe it's some other way. God, I don't know what you are going to do now. And God says, perfect. And he pours out his grace. And he just says, Mike, watch this. And as he begins to apply his hands, and that, this was my perspective. I'm that pot. When I got poked, I got flattened out like a pancake. Great, God, what are you going to do now? Oh, just watch, just watch. And the master begins to apply his hands. And what was so low, he brings up and he begins to shape. Not because of something here and how special I am, but because how special he is. The one who chose me, called me, poured out his grace upon me. He is doing something special in my life, special in your life. I'm not asking that you look at yourself and and begin to see just how special you actually are because of what God is doing. He may not have shown you very much, but I tell you what, when you allow him to use you, when you allow him to fashion you, he does something absolutely beautiful because it's all about his grace. Can we just stand right now as we look to Him, not ourselves, for this grace, for this amazing grace? Father, I want to thank You that it is not about me. It is about You. If it's about me, I've totally blown it and I blew it a long time ago. It is about You. It's about the fact that out of your grace, you chose me. Out of your grace, you're fashioning me. Out of your grace, you are leading me. And out of your grace, you're actually accomplishing good works. This is your grace, God. And I just stand in utter amazement. And I say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you have done. I confess to you, Father, I have blown it so many times. I've even been wearied by how many times I've blown it. But as I look to you, in your grace, you began to fashion again. I just pray for everyone in this room right now, God, that you would fashion us by your grace. Don't give up on us, God. Show us your faithfulness, Lord. Reach down into our life today, right now, God. And begin to do something that we would step back and say, God, is that how much you love me? Apply your hands. Even now, God, please. We will rejoice as highly favored ones. We will be filled with joy because of what you are doing and because of who you are and how you have set us apart as your very own God. You have not given up on us. You have pursued us relentlessly because God so loved the world he gave you gave your son on that Christmas morning and you gave your son on that dark gloomy day in which he died and three days later was raised God so loved the world he gave thank you father I just pray, Father, where the enemy has gotten in to rob us of that joy, show us Jesus and all of his grace and fill us with your joy as we look to you. In Jesus' name, I pray. Thank you, God. Can I just ask you that if you want prayer this morning, I just want to open up the altars to you. If you feel beaten up, if you feel discouraged, if you feel like the enemy's just come in and ripped your life apart and stolen your joy, I want to encourage you, come to the altar. Allow us to pray for you and minister to you, you? So, Father, I just ask you again, pour out your grace upon grace upon grace and show us your glory, God, in this way. And we will rejoice in who you are Jesus' name I ask. Amen.